Well, turn in your Bible with me now as we have our time of Bible study to the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, not hard to find. Matthew chapter 19 is where we are today. We've been doing uh, in recent weeks a study of the book of Matthew and what we're calling this series, Living Missionally Every Day. The purpose of this series is to understand how Jesus saw himself in the world as a missionary and how we too are to be on mission in the same way that he was. So today we're going to look at Matthew 19, verses 27 through 30. We have Bibles that are found underneath chairs if you didn't bring a Bible today. And by the way, if you, if you need a Bible, we have a lot of them that we'd be glad to give you. They're out at the welcome desk. Please, on, on your way out, just ask for one. Matthew chapter 19. In this chapter, let me give you a little bit of the context because we don't have a lot of time to look at the whole chapter, but the context of this passage that we're going to read is the story of the time when Jesus had a conversation with a rich, young, wealthy ruler. And uh, this ruler said, uh, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, here's what you need to do. You need to obey the commandments. And he said, well, I've, I've done all those things. And then Jesus said, well, there's one thing that you didn't do. That is, you've got to go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And that's when this rich young ruler said, mm, I don't think I can do that. And the Bible says that he went away sad because he had great wealth. Well, that's the background of what we're about to read. So look with me at verse 27, and we'll read to the end of the, of the chapter. It says in verse 27 of Matthew 19, Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This is God's Word. So here's what I want to begin with. Ask you a question. Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever say to yourself, maybe privately, wouldn't share this with anybody else, but privately you say, does it really matter what I'm doing? I try to honor Jesus with my life, you know. I give away my money to invest in the kingdom of God. I'm loving my spouse. I'm trying to love my kids, my parents. I'm trying to be a real Christian at work. I'm seeking to really live out my faith at school. But does anybody notice? Does God notice? Am I making a difference? I mean, those are the kinds of questions we ask ourselves when we're discouraged, right? And we lose heart. We grow weary. And we wonder, what's it all for? Am I really getting anywhere? Am I even making an impact or touching anybody at all for the kingdom of God? You know, that's what I hear coming out of Peter's heart in verse 27. 
It's easy for us to kind of uh, give Peter a hard time because he says so many things that are just impulsive and honest and many times they just betray what, uh, what an insecure man Peter was, right? But what I hear coming out of Peter's heart in verse 27 where he says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? You know, I don't think that's selfish of Peter to ask that. What I hear coming out of his heart is, Jesus, does it matter what I'm doing? Does it count? What will there be for us, Jesus? Anything? See, those are the voices of discouragement. And Peter needs some reassurance. My wife is a nurse. Sometimes she'll come home from Winnie Palmer Hospital where she works and says to me, you know, if somebody would just come up to me now and then, it wouldn't have to be all the time, but if somebody would just come up to me just every so often and say, you're doing a good job, it would make all the difference in the world. You might know that my wife and I bought a dog about a month ago. Oh, look, here's a picture of my granddaughter Lucy, too. Hmm, wonder how that got in there. <laughs> That's a picture of our dog. His name is Dabo. Dabo is the name of the head football coach of Clemson University. But um, Dabo is learning how to be a dog. He's just a puppy. He's about six months old. And we're always saying to Dabo, good job, Dabo. That's a good boy. I'm so proud of you. It could be just for taking a step toward the back door. Good boy, Dabo. It's usually something to do with his digestive system. Good job, Dabo. Way to go. We're so proud of you, Dabo. Wouldn't it be great if somebody came up to you throughout the day and said, good job, good girl, good boy. We need that, don't we? Well, this morning, I want to ask you, when was the last time somebody came up to you and said that? When did somebody say, you're a good father. Thanks for being a good husband. What a good wife you are. A good mom that you're being. You know, I really appreciate it. How you're trying to stay sexually pure in a corrupt world. Or something like, I want you to know that what you said to me the other day really, really made a difference. We need those kind of comments. It's really cool that you're working on the, that you're serving on the worship team. It's really great that you sit back there in the sound booth and help us with worship. When's the last time somebody came up to you and said, thank you for what you're doing to serve? Thanks for investing in the kingdom. Something like, I really appreciate the stand that you take for ethics in the workplace. I mean, have you heard those things lately? Probably not. Have you ever gotten a thank you note? Well, this morning, what I want you to read is God's thank you note. A thank you note from Jesus saying that God appreciates what you do for Him and for His kingdom. And if you're going to live missionally every day, which is our theme, you need to hear that from God. You need to read His thank you note. So here's what I want you to get from the Scriptures this morning. It's up here on the screen. God gives earthly and heavenly rewards to those who serve Him faithfully in this life. Say that again. God gives earthly and heavenly rewards to those who serve Him faithfully in this life. 
what I would like to do is break that down into three truths. So if you're ready to dive in, let's go. Three truths that have to do with the subject of rewards. And the first one is this, that salvation is a free gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. God gives salvation to you free of charge. Now, the reason that we have to start here is that whenever we hear something about rewards, our minds instantly go to the way things work in this world. You know what I'm saying? You do something and you get a reward for it. You do your job, you get a paycheck. You do uh, a kind deed for somebody, somebody is supposed to thank you. In other words, we have a debtor's ethic in this life that sometimes says that if I do something, you owe it back to me. And I just want us to make sure we start off with this truth that salvation is free. It is not something you work for. It's not something that you earn or deserve. God gives it to you as a gift. Look at verse 29, and I think you'll see what I mean. In our text this morning, there are three little words at the very end of verse 29 where Jesus says that you will inherit eternal life. See the word inherit? You inherit eternal life. You don't earn it or deserve it. What's an inheritance? An inheritance is not something that you work for, right? It's something that you merely receive. An inheritance comes to you, why? Because of a relationship that you have with somebody. Not because of what you do. And salvation is the same way. It's not something you work for. You merely receive it through a relationship. And the way to enter into that relationship is to believe in Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, there's a fellow by the name of, well, we're told he's the Philippian jailer. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And the answer that Paul, the apostle, gives him is, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. In uh, John chapter 6, some people come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus' answer to them is the work, not works, the work of God is this to what? Believe in the one that he has sent. Now, what what does believing mean? Does that just mean you understand some things in your mind? Is it a fact that you memorize? No, that's not what to believe in Jesus means. To believe in Jesus means to stop working and start trusting. It means you stop whatever you're trying to do to save yourself, to justify your existence, to merit the love of God or of other people, to establish your identity, to get worth to find glory, however you want to put it. Another word for all of that is repentance. You you stop working in those ways and you start relying 100% on what Jesus did on the cross to give you all those things, your identity, your glory, your significance, your joy and your fulfillment. It means to transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus. To trust that God's love in Christ for you is enough. It means to say, Lord, I've sinned against you. I have run away from you. I've been trying to live my life apart from you. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be your child. I want with all my heart to follow Jesus. Okay, so and when you do that, the Bible says even that is not a work. 
even that is a gift. God gives you the ability to repent. God gives you the ability to believe in Jesus. But when you turn away from yourself and turn toward Jesus, you know what happens? Immediately, God gives you eternal life. God writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. He forgives your sins. He takes you into His family. He clothes you in the righteousness of Christ. He rejoices over you with joy. He pronounces you clean and whole. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. He places you in His body, the church. He gives you a place in heaven that is reserved for you that will never perish, spoil, or fade. God does all of that for you. It's all an inheritance. It's all something He gives you. Simply when you receive it and realize that you need it. We call this salvation by grace, don't we? It says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it's by grace that you've been saved, through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. See, you don't base your salvation on your good deeds. You don't base your salvation, your eternal state, on your good works or whatever you do. Even the best works you do are imperfect, right? Even the best things you do in life are tainted with sin. So you don't earn heaven by your works. You inherit heaven by grace. Never forget that. God loves you because He loves you. All right. You got that? That's that's bedrock. That's foundation. So now that you get that, that salvation is free, I want to give you the second truth. The second truth is that those who are loved and saved by grace respond with good works. Those who are saved and loved by grace respond to God with good works. Look at Ephesians 2.10. It's here on the screen. It says, for we are God's workmanship. See, this is the verse right after the verse about grace, right? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What are good works? Good works are the identifying marks of somebody who's been saved by grace. If you've received all those things that I said a moment ago, forgiveness, a place in heaven, justification, fulfillment, purpose, if you've received all that by grace, you are a person who will respond with a life of obedience, with a life of good works. Have you ever heard of that old TV show? Now, I'm really dating myself here. The Millionaire. Some of you my age or older, you remember The Millionaire? It was back in the late 50s. It ran for about 200 episodes. And it was a a, a series every week, black and white, about a a fellow by the name of John Beersford Tipton, Jr., right? And you never saw his face. Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you never saw the guy's face. He was always pictured at the beginning of the show sitting in his high back leather chair in his office with the back toward the camera. And he reaches out his right hand. In his right hand is an envelope. And he hands the envelope over to his executive secretary, whose name was... Nobody knows this show? Michael Anthony. Look, I was four years old at the time, okay? I'm not that old. But he hands this envelope over to Michael Anthony, his secretary, and he says to him, now take this million dollars, that's what was in the envelope, a million dollars, and give it away to a stranger 
that I've never met before, but I'm going to tell you his name and I want you to give it to him. And so the whole rest of the show was about how this million-dollar gift had a life-changing impact upon this person who had never met John Beersford Tipton. See, in many ways, that's a good analogy to the Christian life because Christians are the recipients of God's unexpected, surprising gift of eternal life. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. God gave it to them strictly by mercy and sure grace. And yet that gift of eternal life changes their lives. They're never the same again. They always respond with good works. In other words, Christians... Now let's go back to the text here. Christians are people who, like Peter says in verse 27, look at these words, people who leave everything to follow Jesus. See, they're just like Peter, who leave everything to follow Jesus. That's Peter's way of describing the Christian life. That's Peter's way of talking about a life of denying yourself and serving Jesus. Christians, another way of saying it is that Christians are people who, according to verse 29, leave, see the word leave, houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for Jesus' sake. Christians are those people who do those things, who respond to God's amazing grace in those ways. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Those who freely receive, freely give. Those who freely receive, freely serve. Why? Out of gratitude for what God has done for them. Out of love for the one who so loved us that he gave his one and only son. So works, first point, are not the basis of salvation. They are the outflow, point two, of salvation. They are the byproduct of salvation. All right? So those are our two sort of core truths as we lay the foundation about reward. So let's go on to truth number three. The third thing I want you to take away from this passage today is that when you do good works... Now, here's the encouragement. If you came today discouraged... I hope this third truth will encourage you. Because when you do good works, God affirms them with both present and future rewards. God affirms your good deeds with both present and future rewards. Earlier in this chapter, Matthew 19, verse 21 to be exact, Jesus had told this rich young ruler, if you want to be perfect... Go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, right? Well, now Jesus is going to spell out what that treasure is. Look with me again at verse 29. Verse 29 says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Look at the way that the Apostle Mark puts it. Look at what Mark says. Mark chapter 10 is a parallel passage, and he gives this a little bit of a different twist. Mark says, No one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Notice he's added that. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions 
Uh, wish he didn't have to add that part. But along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Now that even fills it out even more, doesn't it? Because Mark is saying that both in the here and now and in the age to come, there are rewards for the child of God for the things he or she does for Jesus. First, let's talk about blessings here and now. The things that you give up, let's put it that way, the things that you give up because you're a Christian, money, time, comfort. Some of you have given up comfort because you're a Christian. Popularity. Maybe you've given up a big retirement account or a new car or you've given up your security in several different ways. Maybe you gave up the place that you've always wanted to live in obedience to the call of Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus says here? God compensates you for all those things. In the here and now. You say, well, I'm not so sure about that, Mike. Well, just think about it. Think about it. Some of you have chosen because of the gospel, because you love Jesus, to move away from your family. Or some of you, because of your love for Jesus, have been rejected by members of your family because you love Christ. What has God given you back? This passage says he's given you back a new family. It's called the church. You say, well, I'm not so sure I want those people, but... God says, that's too bad because here's your new family. It's the church. Here in this church, you know what you have? Brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children. Some of you have chosen because you love Jesus to give up a sizable portion of your income to support the work of the church. To use Jesus' words, you've walked away from houses and land. You have because you've chosen to be a giver. What has God given you back? Besides old clothes. (laughs) He's given you back spiritual growth. He's given you depth of character. You've learned to value things in life that don't have a price tag on them. You've learned to rein in your appetites for things. You've been able to participate in the expansion of the kingdom of God. You have treasure in heaven, says Jesus. Those are inestimable spiritual rewards. Another example. Some of you have chosen because of your commitment to God to take a bold step of obedience and integrity, obedience to God's commands. Maybe you broke up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend who doesn't love Jesus and was taking advantage of you. Maybe you said no to some form of peer pressure that cost you popularity with your friends. Maybe your place of honor with those friends. What has God given you back? He's given you back friends that can really love you. His smile he's given you. He's given you his favor. He's conforming you into the image of Christ, the one who was despised and forsaken by his friends. All of those things and many, many more are God's thank you notes. They are God's way of saying, way to go. Good boy. Good girl. I'm proud of you. Those are rewards in the here and now. But that's not all, because Jesus says here that you will inherit blessings in the age to come as well. Blessings in the future. Look at verse 28. 
Look at verse 28. It says, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things. Now, what is that? The renewal of all things is when Jesus Christ comes back and establishes the new heavens and the new earth. At the renewal of all things... When the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now that's a puzzling statement, and it's too much that we can't really get into right now. But let's put it simply. What Jesus says is that in some way, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're going to participate in the judgment of all mankind at the end of the age. In some way that we perhaps don't understand fully right now. You are going to participate with Jesus in the final judgment. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? That's you if you're a believer in Christ. And then not only that, but notice again, verse 29, you will inherit eternal life. Friends, can you just begin to imagine what life is going to be like on the new earth? Can you imagine? No, we can't. What kind of spiritual and physical blessings will be ours when we are with Jesus forever and ever? Those will be yours as you follow Christ. So what we're learning today is the biblical doctrine of reward. Now, I know that sometimes we're a bit reluctant to think about rewards as if it's mercenary or selfish to think about rewards. Of course, now this could be a whole nother sermon, but of course you don't seek the rewards themselves, right? You don't seek the rewards, you seek the glory of Jesus. You don't say, I'm going to do this so that I'll get that. I mean, that would be mercenary. Uh, You say, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do and it brings glory and honor to Jesus. I'm an unworthy servant who has only done his duty. I mean, those are the kinds of things that we should Uh, say to ourselves as we do good works. But the Bible says God wants to reward his children. I once heard a preacher say that rewards are not mercenary. They're motivational. Rewards aren't mercenary. They're they're motivational. Parents, don't you know that at home? Don't you reward your kids for a job well done? Don't you see their face brighten when you say, way to go. I really appreciate that. And you give them a hug. That's what God does because rewards are motivational. The Bible says over and over again that God's people are rewarded for faithful, obedient service. Turn with me in the Bible to Hebrews 11. I'll just show you a few verses and then we're done. Hebrews chapter 11 will bring this out very clearly. Look at verse 6 of Hebrews 11. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then look at the rest of the chapter. In Hebrews 11 is a list of people who look forward to their reward. And because they look forward to it, they responded to God's promise with faith and obedience, with bold steps of courage. For example, look at verse 10. It's talking about Abraham. And it says that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's one of the things that motivated Abraham to leave his familiar home and go to a place he'd never been before. Look at verse uh, 25 and 26. This is talking about Moses. Moses was a man who obeyed God in a lot of dramatic ways. And it says in verse 25 that he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. 
He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. So it was a healthy um, banking upon the promise of God that he would be rewarded for his good works. And finally, look at verse 35. It's talking about a whole variety of people who obeyed God and some got what they had hoped for and others didn't. But in verse 35, it says, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Do you see how all of these different instances are instances where the promise of reward motivated faith and obedience? Just like in your life, God wants you to know. Listen, God wants you to know that he sees what you're doing. He notices it. He affirms what you're doing and will one day give you an even more tangible reward on the new earth through eternal life. You will one day hear his words, well done, good and faithful servant. So don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Don't throw in the towel. There's a verse in Galatians chapter 6 where Paul says, Don't grow weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. You know, even Jesus looked forward to his reward. Even Jesus did. It says in Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, Don't forget what Mark said to us earlier. You remember what Mark said, that along with the blessings in the here and now and in the future, along with those blessings come what? Persecutions. Along with the blessing come suffering. Along with the blessing comes tribulation. But it's okay to think about your rewards. In fact, all the more reason to think about your rewards. It's okay to expect rewards. It's okay to... Ask like Peter does. What will there be for us, Jesus? See, Peter's not saying, what's in it for me? He's not. I don't hear Peter saying, what have you done for me lately, Jesus? No. He's saying, Lord, do I matter? Am I making a difference? See, rewards, don't forget it, are motivational. They're not mercenary. You're not greedy just because you're looking forward to your reward. I was reading Psalm 20 the other day, and I love Psalm 20. It's a prayer of blessing. And it says that God will remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. You know, some of you this morning that I'm looking at need to be reminded that God will remember your sacrifices. You moms of little ones, God will remember your sacrifices. You people who are serving God under adverse circumstances, God will remember your sacrifices and he will not forget your burnt offering. You and I need to remember, it's like my wife says, if somebody would just come up to me now and then and tell me I'm doing a good job, it would make all the difference in the world. Well, that's what God is doing here. Have you heard his thank you note today? He's telling you you're doing a good job. And if you'll listen to him and you'll believe it, It'll make a big difference in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's amazing. It's hard to believe that you would actually give us rewards. Things in this life, things in the life to come. It's, it's amazing that you would not only give us salvation, but 
along the way, all kinds of kisses, all kinds of reminders of your grace. Lord, we pray that this message of Jesus today will motivate us to greater and greater deeds of service and sacrifice. I pray that we'll take this not just to say, wow, it's great that I'm rewarded, but that it might actually move us out of our comfort zones and into frontiers of risk and adventure because we realize that even when we fail, we can still hear your voice saying, good job, great effort. I appreciate that. Lord, we pray that it will lift our eyes away from our discouraging circumstances and into heaven itself where Jesus is smiling upon his children. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.